Oh, it's not like it used to be. <laughs> G'day and welcome to the Anarchist History of New Zealand podcast. This is the history of New Zealand through a libertarian anarchist lens, specifically that of Rick Giles. Please enjoy the ideas and let me know what you think. The following audio extracts are from a Radio New Zealand interview in 1954. Mr. Willie Bennett is giving his eyewitness account of having been woken up and almost killed at Tiwairoa by the Great Eruption. He was just 12 years old at the time and working in the Tiwairoa store. You can visit Tiwairoa today as a tourist. It's known as the Buried Village. Bennett and his fellows were nearly killed by lava rain, except for a fortunate choice to seek shelter and guide Sophia's house, rather than trek at once for Rotorua. An interesting comment he makes, which I will come back to, is that it was not at first considered a volcanic eruption, but a bombardment of New Zealand by the Russians. One couldn't stand still, so we went looking for other people and eventually found others bent like ourselves we were, looking for, we were looking for companions, and the men talked and walked, but couldn't make out what was wrong. Everywhere one looked, the trees and the houses were shaking and bowing and at us, and the noise was terrible. And I heard the men talking about the Russians trying to blow New Zealand out of the water. From what I can remember, the men seemed to be all talking at once, and the conversation kept on the Russians. Then all of a sudden, one of the men said, No, it's Tarawera in eruption. And he pointed at a big black cloud that was coming over our way from Tarawera. And we could then see a reflection of light from about the mount, and the noise was still terrific, and the earthquakes were still just as bad as ever, and we were now on our way to Ohinamutu. As we walked along, somebody said, If we get through to the Tikitapu bush before this cloud bursts, we would be all right, but if we couldn't, we would be killed in the bush by the trees falling on us, and as I heard this, as we were just getting onto the culvert that covers the little outlet from Rotokakahi, I sat down on the culvert and cried, saying, if we have to die, let us die at home instead of in the bush. Our men walked on and called me to come on, but I wouldn't. So they came back, and I think it was Joe McCrae said, well, if the little bee won't come with us, we will have to go with him. And how lucky we were. We went back and hadn't got to Sophia's worry when the lava and scoria started falling. And it was hot and as thick as porridge. The black cloud had changed its course, and the wind now blowing it towards Wakatani. What a good job, too, for if it hadn't changed, I'm sure we in Wairua would have been buried, too. When we got to Sophia's Wari, we found it nearly full of people and all sitting on the ground floor. But we managed to get in, all right, and I don't know how long we were there, for I think I must have gone to sleep. 
and when I woke, I found the roof had been braced up with two or three poles as some stones had come through the, and weakened the roof. Interesting, isn't it, that the 1986 men of this thermal region first thought of Russians. New Zealand's history is frequently visited by periodic Russian scares. In 1873, there was a Russian hoax created by the Daily Southern Cross newspaper. In 1878, it came again. In early 1885, more New Zealanders were in a panic about Russian invasion of our islands. The early 20th century had all sorts of ferment about communists taking our country by stealth. Reds under the bed. In many cases, these spooks led to increased arms purchases by the sitting government. In 1962 and 1979, Russian spies were kicked out of the country. In the late 1980s, current Russian President Vladimir Putin was observed spying on our country disguised as a travelling shoe salesman. And of course, mainstream Kiwis in 2022 have become frightened again of Russians. Putin annexed the Russian part of the Ukraine. New Zealand business in Russia was severed and local Russian businessmen were attacked. So... It's an interesting thing that during the 1886 Tarawera eruption, trauma, the first attempt to make sense of it was to look to the Ruskies. If you'd like more, you can listen to the entire interview on the New Zealand Sound and Vision website. Right now, though, it's time for the anarchist report on what happened at Tarawera in 1886. <laughs> Today in history, 10 June 1886, Mount Tarawera exploded, along with killing 150 people or more, it either bulldozed or buried numerous settlements and villages along with the world-famous pink and white terraces. The terraces would have started out as a free-market tourist attraction run by enterprising Maoris. Over time, these local people learned to promote and transport and feed and intoxicate and guide visitors in the tourist industry that they themselves had created. Of course, the state couldn't let that go on without inserting their mosquito proboscis and taking their own cut. The government is the parasite of New Zealand, no matter the time period. The eruption lasted six hours and caused massive destruction. It destroyed several villages, along with the famous silica hot springs known as the Pink and White Terraces. Approximately 120 people, nearly all Maori, died. In the early hours of the 10th of June, locals awoke to earthquakes, lightning, fountains of molten rock, and columns of smoke and ash up to 10 kilometers high. People as far away as Blenheim heard the eruption. Some thought it was an attack by a Russian warship. nzhistory.government.nz The Wellington Mafia came to Tiwairoa and the terraces, waiving their Thermal Springs District Act of 1881, which banned all hotels, developers, entrepreneurs, estates, or interests, unless they were licensed to, aka paying into the coffers of, the government. 
Mount Tarawera wiped out a very lucrative government cash farm. When it was over, of course, the government gave no support to those displaced survivors and their dead families. An industry had been destroyed, homes lost, livelihoods buried, making refugees of New Zealanders even within their own country. When they were making money, the government came, claiming to be involved only as a protector. When the money was gone and the protection was needed, the mosquito flew away. Guide Sophia was surrounded by refugees, packed tightly into the small house for shelter. She counted 62 in all, Maori and Pākehā alike, pressed together beneath the sagging Raupo roof, which her husband, Taiafio, and others had braced with wooden props. Amid broken window glass and in darkness, people uttered prayers and tried to comfort children. Refugees from Tiwairoa struggled here through sticky volcanic mud in a wasteland of smashed timber. Big trees, uprooted by the tornado of air sucked in by the eruption, lay broken on the ground, some charred and smoking from lightning strikes, mud-coated women with matted hair looking as if they had just emerged from a lime kiln. New Zealand Geographic The survivors became refugees in their own country, for generations. Wikipedia I visited the remains of Tiwairoa last year. Unlike the terraces, it had simply been buried by ash, and only needed to be dug up again in order to once again be an interesting tourist attraction. Until it was exhumed, the government didn't care. But now it's making money again, sure enough, the government's back. To regulate it and tax it. Ugh. Give me anarchy any day. As an addendum to the story of Tarawera's eruption, there is a ghost story. Days before Mount Tarawera exploded in 1886, there were reports of a ghost walker on Lake Tarawera. The Phantom War Canoe was reported by Western tourists as well as local Maoris. Might it not be that those in the area were enveloped by a miasma of carbon monoxide? Perhaps a great burp of the gas erupted as a precursor to the Great Eruption. Anarchist History of New Zealand says yes. How much New Zealand ghost and spook history can be attributed to carbon monoxide psychosis? I certainly will be thinking about this explanation from now on. Old houses with poor ventilation make traps for CO, which in turn present to people imaginary sounds and visions. This also explains why women tend to be more sensitive to spooks, since they usually work indoors, whereas the more sceptical men are outdoors, in the fresh air, away from the, quote, haunted houses. That's the end of this episode of Anarchist History of New Zealand podcast. Thanks for listening. And please let me know what you thought and visit the AHNZ website. The next episode will take us to the 1930s. Here's a small sample of that show to end this one. In 1930, New Zealand's Prime Minister, George Forbes, visited Britain and met United Kingdom Prime Minister Ramsay MacDonald. But only one of these men had a plan unfolding to cause the trousers of their farming community to spontaneously explode. And that was our George. <laughs>